all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today, I have Dr. Sarah Gleason. She is also an Associate Professor at UMMC, but in the Department of Psychiatry and Human Behavior. And we're going to be talking about suicide awareness, suicide prevention, and really mental health as the the um, umbrella that, um, that these fall under. So we're happy to take questions about that as well. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. As always, you can send me an email if you prefer. It is fit at mpbonline dot org. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Josie. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm very glad to have you on the show. Um, it's your first time we're here with us on Southern Remedy, so we're glad to welcome you into the booth, and we know it won't be the last time. But tell us a little bit about um, kind of what you do at UMC. Certainly. As you mentioned, I'm an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Human Behavior. Uh, my work at the UMMC is primarily on the inpatient side. I'm an adult psychiatrist. I have a a little bit of outpatient practice, but majority of my day is spent on the inpatient wards, both on the medical psychiatry unit and on the consult service. So I'm in a position where I do see people in crisis who have been admitted after a suicide attempt or perhaps contemplating suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, what kind of led you to the field of, of psychiatry? I was a little bit later in life going into medicine. I didn't start medical school until I was 33. Uh, so I had some opportunities in life to you know, consider <laughs> life, experience. life experiences yeah. and, you know, and also some maturity there that made me consider what would be the best opportunity for me moving forward. I was absolutely uh, mesmerized and impressed with my experience on the medical psychiatry unit. Uh, I had been toying with the idea of medicine or primary care, but this turned out to be the best fit for me. Yeah, and it's, it's great that we all kind of find that, that fit where we're supposed to be. That's right. Um, you know, but... None of us in healthcare are untouched by mental health. You know, when I remember when I was in in undergraduate in working on my my nursing degree, I was like, I will not do mental health. I will not do psychiatry. You know, but you have to because usually, you know, from a primary care standpoint, we're oftentimes the first point of contact for these individuals when they come in and are having, um, you know, depression symptoms or anxiety or contemplating harming themselves, you know, so we have to, to know about it, we have to embrace it. And it really is, at the end of the day, human behavior is driving 
all of our health decisions, you know, so we have to understand those things. So I wanted you to come on the show with me today um, because September is Suicide Awareness Month, right? Um, But of course, on all these awareness months that we do, we don't just focus on those problems during that month. But I think it's great that we have a month dedicated to increasing awareness in the public, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the analogies you make to other awareness Mm -hmm. months uh, in our prior discussion before coming on air are exactly right. We we need to highlight an opportunity to uh, focus, educate, but also recognize that it's a 24-7, 365-day-a-year uh, concern. Yeah, and those those issues don't uh, go away at 5 o'clock, you know, so that's why we're grateful that, you know, there's consult service um, for for um, folks. And so when we say consult service, tell me what consult service is. Sure. Uh, on the adult consult service, uh, I am asked, along with my team of residents and students, uh, to come and help out other teams, for example, a surgery team or a medicine team who has admitted a patient uh, for care, but the patient may have some comorbid uh, psychiatric concerns. Maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's an individual who's treating for schizophrenia and needs to make some medication mm-hmm. changes uh, uh, for other reasons. Not uh, by, by no means are all of uh, those individuals uh, experiencing active uh, or past suicidal mm-hmm. ideation. However, it's something that's very important for us to screen for, and uh, it's something that uh, hospitals across the board now are uh, paying attention to, and uh, we're seeing a lot more uh, screening coming through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The majority of, so the patients that I see um, are lifestyle medicine, and so they're, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, overweight, obesity, high cholesterol, but... A lot of them, when they are referred into me, have already had at least, you know, cursory depression and anxiety screening done, which is exciting for me to think that that's now commonplace for us to be asking those questions if people are having issues. Absolutely. Uh, And then the issue with these serious medical conditions that you're talking about or chronic pain, Mm -hmm. chronic issues with diabetes, heart disease and so forth. Those can be risk factors uh, for suicidal uh, ideation and behavior. So we really want to be paying attention to those individuals, even if they have not identified as a chief complaint, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, substance use, for yeah. example. Well, and oftentimes they don't, um, you know, come forward with that as a, as a chief complaint because we've been dealing with this stigma uh, of mental health. Talk to me about what I mean when I say stigma of mental health. Sure. Uh, when you say stigma, you know, what is stigma? A preconceived idea about something you know, typically negative, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people are comfortable going to the doctor talking about maybe their blood pressure issues or an infection. But when we start talking about our emotions, our behaviors, there are worries based on some of it historical. Uh, maybe it's based upon your job. You're worried that if you reveal something about your mood or, or anxiety that it could affect your livelihood, right. uh, that sort of thing. We're reticent. We're, we're less likely to talk about those things with the provider. That's why the trust uh, from the forefront mm-hmm. is so important, and it's especially important for uh, the primary care doc to be involved in that yeah. or NP. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've we've got to ask those questions. We've got to be very non-judgmental when people <laughs> tell us things as well. You know, never if we've got healthcare providers listening, never ask a question you're not prepared to 
to address. You may not have all the answers, but you've got to first examine your own beliefs a little bit about, you know, what's going on. But then you got to meet the patient where where they are and get them the help that they need, because no matter what medical condition we are um, trying to treat or address, mental health plays a role in in all of that, you know, and most patients that that I see, you don't come right out and say, you know, I feel like I have a mental illness, you know, they tell me, I feel like I don't have any energy. Or I just don't, you know, I used to enjoy maybe, you know, crocheting or going to bingo or, you know, doing these different things. And I just don't even have the energy to get up and and do that. And so they want to work up for fatigue, right? You know, they're like, is my thyroid messed up? Am I anemic? You know, what's what's going on? And we absolutely have to look at those things. There are medical causes for fatigue um, from a lab standpoint. But mental health is also something we need to look at and evaluate because that loss of um of enjoyment for things or drive to do those things can absolutely be a symptom. And it's not unusual for me to be called in on the consult service in a scenario where medical, neurological, other more obvious causes of fatigue or mm-hmm. a change in behavior have already been, you know, worked up and the primary team consulting says, hey, you know, we think it's probably mm-hmm. a psychiatric issue. We'd like your help. And those can be some of the most rewarding encounters t- you know, to see a patient and family members begin to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. And, and just feel better. You know, that's the best when you when you see someone because I'm, I'm outpatient when you see someone for follow up and they're like, I feel so much better. You know, mm-hmm. even That's if right. we've not lost any weight or you know any of those things, I feel so much better. That's the first step. You know, you got to you got to feel good to be able to make some of these other changes. Um, and if you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So, kind of diving back down into Suicide Awareness Month, um, we seem to hear about it more. Um, you know, in the media, uh, is it? How common is it? How common is, is suicidality? Uh, suicide in America is unfortunately increasingly common. Uh, uh, as of 2017 data available to us uh, through the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it is identified as the 10th leading cause of mortality wow. in the United States. That's across all ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it impacts, though, younger people uh, from uh, teen years up through a younger middle-aged at a much higher rate, and sometimes it's the second to third cause of death in those age groups. So this is particularly alarming and concerning Mm -hmm. to us, and we've been seeing uh, rates rise over the past uh, decade and a half. Yeah. And, you know, so 10th leading cause of mortality, so that's of actual death, but that's only if the suicide is is successful, right? You know, so adding in suicide attempts, I'm sure the number is much more staggering. Yes, suicide attempts, uh, again, it's challenging to say, possibly 1.4 million uh, in the U.S. in 2017. And I'm going to challenge you on a word right there, Josie, Uh if that's okay. Uh, You said said, if the suicide is successful. Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm actually really glad that that came up in our our dialogue because we try to work with the concept of you know, success and suicide. Not being together. Right, that's not a concept. Yeah, that's not a good thing. We want, to, we want to talk about. We talk no. about uh, a completion of suicide completion. or a, a death by suicide. Mm-hmm. So, But I'm, uh, that was a good opportunity yeah, for us absolutely. to address that. I will, I will definitely work on that. Um, but yeah, th- that makes 
a ton of sense. Um, and, you know, I imagine that number for suicidal attempts is a harder number to capture because that's only if they sought medical care for that and it was identified as, a, as a, an attempt. Yes, the statistics are challenging because of the stigma that we talked about. Mm-hmm. There may be self-harm behaviors that were uh, taken with the intent to die mm-hmm. that did not result in a serious or obvious enough energy, uh, excuse me, injury mm-hmm. to get an ambulance and an right. ER visit. Uh, there may be individuals who don't want to acknowledge, oh, this was accidental, what have right. you. So the data there is, is hard to gather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, guys, it's time for our first break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be continuing our discussion about suicide awareness and mental health. If you have a question or a comment for us, now is a perfect time. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, And that email is fit at mpbonline.com. Org. We'll be Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, here with Dr. Sarah Glover. Not Glover, that's a GI doctor, Sarah Gleason. Uh, and we are talking about suicide awareness and mental health today. Uh, now is a great time to give us a call. Our number is 1 877 MPB ring, and our email is fit at mpbonline.com. Org. Um, before we went to the break, we were talking uh, about how we're starting to hear more about um, suicide, and unfortunately, um, that that's the tenth leading cause of death here in in the U.S. And so, this is a particularly important. Um, topic for us to cover. I do want to make sure that I give out a phone number that's not ours, but is a very important number as we talk. Um, There is a crisis line for anyone who um, may be um, needing extra support. Um, That number is uh, 1-800-273-TALK. That's the suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. And it is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, if you feel like you need an extra point of contact there. And we are going to go on over to our phone lines and uh, go to Natchez. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm wonderful. Thank you. Okay. I was just hoping that you all would mention during your conversation about NAMI. NAMI uh, is, of course, a national association, but it is for the people who take care of or live with people who do have mental health mm-hmm. problems. And I just was hoping that you could talk a little bit about that so people would know that it's available to them right here in Natchez. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you may already know about NAMI. We do. We do. We had it in our list to talk about, but now is a perfect time to do that. Um, Sarah, go I'm ahead. Gonna and... let you, I'm going to tell you one thing. Cause sure. I down here but a minute. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell you one thing that in Brookhaven, I'm trying to see exactly where it is. I'll give you some phone numbers, too. You can call. Uh, okay. That's Eric great. Rice. At 601-951-0887. He can tell you quite a bit about it. 
they do have a meeting every third Thursday here in Natchez. Great. It would be at, at the hospital here in Magnolia Room. And they also are having something, I think, sounds to me like it's very special. I hope I'll get to go. But it's going to be in Brookhaven. And I'm trying to see the time on it. I think it's, I know it's one of the churches. I was just trying to see if I had something written down here so I'd remember all the things. And I can't think of them. That's all right. I don't remember all that. I just know that it is in Natchez. They're going to have a panel. They're going to have people who discuss this. And I think it would be wonderful if people just knew about NAMI because it is very helpful to the people who, who know so much about this without knowing much. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for calling in and giving us those numbers and those informa- and that information as well. Um, and so can now... Give you another number, ma'am? Sure. You sure can. Somebody you can call here in, in Natchez. Uh-huh. I'm trying to see. Okay, that number is 662- Okay. 801- Okay. 8700. 8700. Okie doke. And uh, who's that? Those two numbers I gave you, they can tell you all about the meetings, and they'll be able okay. to tell you the time of the one in, in uh, that's going to be Thursday. And I'm sure it's a – you can find – anybody that needs to call either one of these numbers, they might enjoy the one that's going to be at Brookhaven because it's going to have a lot of, of good information. So please give those numbers and tell them they can call them and find out exactly what times those are. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that information. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. You have a good rest of your day, okay? That's a good way for people to know more about NAMI because it's not something that a lot of people even realize exists. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I would offer that in addition to the phone numbers, mm-hmm. uh, which are great sources, mm-hmm. uh, NAMI is very easy to find. Quick Google search, online search, many uh, good resources, uh, options for peer support, options for family-to-family mm-hmm. support. So again, as the caller mentioned, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI is, is a great resource. Yeah, and so that's N-A-M-I. Correct. For folks who may not um, be, be speaking our, our my Southern anyway when I say NAMI. Um, that is N-A-M-I. Um, and what does that stand for? The National Alliance on Mental Illness. National Alliance on Mental Illness. And so there's lots of good resources there. Um, if you're wanting to know more about uh, mental health in general, about suicide, there's a, a wealth of information there, um, as well as those numbers um, that our lovely caller shared with us today for some local resources. It's always great um, to be able to offer things right in your own backyard there for that. All right. So um, kind of getting back to um, what do we mean by mental illness? You know, and I don't even love the term mental illness. I kind of like mental mental health as more sure. the, the um, term to use. But tell me, tell me about it. Sure. So that broader term mental health uh, could encompass both, you know, disease states, illness states, diagnosed states. Um, But I also uh, see we're increasingly uh, beginning to think about wellness Mm -hmm. in the context of mental health. And uh, providers who care for individuals in the wellness or the disease state are mental health providers. Mm -hmm. uh, And that would include psychiatrists, uh, psychiatric nurse practitioners, social workers, counselors, psychologists, 
nurses who specialize in the field, mm-hmm. uh, on and on, recreation therapists, it goes on and on. So Music therapists, music therapists art therapy. Yes. Oh gosh, yes. so many different things. So mental health, one of the reasons I love working in the field is the diversity and uh, the breadth of colleagues and the whole treatment team concept. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it's, it's special mm-hmm. uh, uh, relative to some other services. Yeah. I love how you mentioned that treatment team. As I, when I was doing my rotations in school, one of the things we had to participate in was the um, psychiatry team meetings. And so it was great to see that we had, you know, psychiatry team meetings that were multitude of different people. So the psychiatrist was there, then maybe the nurse that was caring for that individual patient that was there, was there, the um, social worker or counselor, but then also somebody from the primary team um, was there as well, because you can't just treat people as as parts, you know, we're all one big blob. <laughs> right. Trying to become very holistic in, right. our, in our view. And then, of course, the most important members of the treatment team, patients, their loved ones, mm-hmm. you know, peer support, as we were talking about with NAMI. And uh, this is something that's going to be key to us addressing the risks of suicide. And uh, as we increasingly see suicide as a public health matter, mm, right. it's going to take that uh, whole wraparound approach. Yeah, it's more than just that individual patient that we're working with. And just like our caller um, mentioned, of course, she didn't give any details, but it sounds like she's been affected um, by um, mental illness, whether personally or with a loved one or a family member. And so mental health doesn't or mental illness doesn't just touch that one individual. It's it the ripples all throughout their family, their friends, their work, and the community at large. And so it's important to be addressing these things with each one of those areas. Absolutely. And in particular, when we do have suicidal behaviors, whether a completed suicide tragically or a suicide attempt that leads to you know, serious uh, injury and increase in risk, that has an impact mm-hmm. across the board. It's uh, the loved ones, the family members, the classmates, the community, the church uh, group, mm-hmm. uh, other faith communities, that sort of thing. Uh, and we recognize the providers. Uh, oh, you know, there's, there's a whole concept of, you know, uh, these groups, families, providers having survivor uh, consequences mm-hmm. uh, when there has been a suicide uh, completed or a suicide attempted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm actually part of an initiative, a new initiative at UMC called RISE, which is Resilience in Stressful Events. Um, I'm one of the peer supporters for that because regardless of whether it is, you know, a, a suicide that the healthcare team may be dealing with or, a, you know, a tragic loss in some other way with with a patient, um, that healthcare provider is kind of what they're calling second victim, right? You know, where they are just as, well, not just as, but they are traumatized as well from from that. Um, and, you know, I mean, for me, I, I still remember the first patient I ever lost, you know, I mean, as vivid as if it was yesterday, you know, and so how do we also support the mental health of the individuals who are are taking care of these situations? It's, it's hard. Well, I'm glad you mentioned RISE because I actually just put in my application, self-nominated oh, to be yay. one of the, uh, be trained. So yeah. maybe I've got the inside track. Now. Maybe so. <laughs> I will bring you with me when I go for my training. Um, it's important that we're now having those conversations. So that's that's exciting to, to see. Not only are we reaching out to the community, but we're also reaching um, in inward to our, our own little sub-community of healthcare providers and making sure that we take care of them as well um, from that. So... Maybe there are folks out there who are dealing with a loved one who has has um, completed suicide. You know, 
how do we help those individuals? Well, absolutely. We see, as we, we talked about the stress uh, and the notion of the second victim status mm-hmm. and so forth, uh, right away, you know, the grieving process has to be acknowledged um, and getting support uh, from community, uh, whatever that means uh, to the family, the individual, um, hopefully, you know, the media, here we are in mm-hmm. a, a media setting, uh, handling that in a respectful manner and following World Health Organization guidelines for best ways of uh, talking about that mm-hmm. in the press and so forth. Um, you know, we see celebrity cases or very, you know, more, more um, fantastic scenarios right. regarding suicide, and they get a lot of high publicity. Not every suicide gets that, right? right? Um, so it, it's, it's a death of a, of a different kind, um, but it's a, a death and uh, should be mourned and allowed to process as any other death. And, you know, what I hear um, from people who are, are meaning well and wanting to, to do, they say, I don't know what to say. And mm-hmm. sometimes you don't have to say anything. You know, sometimes just your presence with someone who is grieving is more profound than you would think. I would agree. You know, um, so, you know, this is our first time meeting, but the listeners probably know we um, lost a child. And for a long time, people kind of danced around the issue. Like they didn't know what to say because they thought it was going to hurt my feelings. Um, For me, just knowing that you remember that I had a child and that she died is does this mama's heart a world of good, you know, to know that she's remembered. Um, But I still remember... Um, right in the early days after that happened, someone coming in, they sat down, they said, I have no idea what to say to you. There's nothing I can say that will make it better. So I'm going to shut up. And we're just going to sit right here. And if you feel like you need to say something to me, you can. But if you don't want to say anything, you don't have to say anything. And if you want to throw stuff, I brought soft things. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And that was one of the most helpful full things because it took the, the pressure off of, of me as well, you know, um, trying to figure out what what I say, you know, what, what the person who is grieving says, because sometimes we're trying to make it better on the person who's coming to try and make it better for us, you know, trying to, to not be so sad. That's what I hear folks say. Well, I don't, I'm trying not to be so sad. I'm trying to hold it all in, you know, and that's not healthy. Hold all that stuff in, you know, you do whatever you need to do, you know, um, that was the other piece that was, was helpful for me as I had a, a mom who had gone through it and she said, whatever you need to do, is what you need to do, right? If you want to, if you want a big funeral, you have a big funeral. If you want a little funeral, you have a little funeral. If you don't want anybody to come to the funeral, you don't have to have anybody come to the funeral. It's whatever you need to do to be as okay as you can be right now. But as you say, reaching out to community, I hear a thread mm-hmm. through, as you're mm-hmm. sharing that story, uh, the notion of reaching out, having people mm-hmm. who would meet you on your terms. right? Um, but, you know, there are people who deal with grief and then they themselves are in a very dark place mm-hmm. and may be dealing with uh, risk of self-harm. And that's right. another thing we have to watch out for uh, you know, when someone's had a loss. Right. Um, right. And, as, and I, we'll talk later, I'm sure, about yeah. some of the risk factors and Absolutely. warning signs. And that's Absolutely. something to consider. Absolutely. And that's actually what we will talk about when we come back from this break. We'll talk about some of those warning signs. And sometimes they may not may not be warning signs. Um, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, And our email is fit at mpbonline.org.
is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, your host, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. Joining me today, I have Dr. Sarah Gleason, who is um, also an Associate Professor with the Department of Psychiatry and Human Behavior at UMMC. And we've been talking about mental health and suicide awareness today. Um, If you have a question or a comment for us, we have open lines, so now's a great time to give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four. Six four. Also want to make sure that we give out the suicide hotline number as well. That number is 1-800-273-TALK. It's 1-800-273-8255. All right, um, Sarah, before we went on the break, uh, we kind of alluded to uh, some risk factors or maybe even some warning signs that someone might be contemplating harming themselves. Can we talk about those a little bit? Certainly. Um uh, number one thing to remember is there is no single cause uh, for suicidal behavior, typically. Uh, it's a, a set of circumstances, sometimes the perfect storm, so to speak, uh, that can uh, lead to suicidal behavior. And a lot of times there isn't warning. Mm-hmm. It can be a very impulsive act, uh, and perhaps we didn't see it coming with a particular individual. Um, we've talked a lot about the context of mental health, you know, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, uh, schizophrenia, individuals who are experiencing these uh, disorders are uh, have an increased risk factor uh, because of mental health history. An individual who has a previous suicide attempt or attempts has an increased risk. There are certain populations just demographically uh, that are associated with higher risk of suicide, veterans, for example, uh, from white males, uh, middle-aged white males, uh, higher than some groups. Um, but there are other factors that can catch us off guard. Uh, for example, an unexpected setfall of job loss right. out of nowhere, a layoff, uh, loss of your house, uh, big economic setback, um, a, a criminal uh, encounter, uh, some you know someone who's dealing with the criminal justice system, maybe has been arrested, the shame of that may be overwhelming. Um so these are things we have to look for. And certainly substance use problems uh, are big factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, access to lethal means is also important. And, you know, there's often been kind of this misconception that we shouldn't talk to people about it because maybe it'll make them want to do it. Right. You know, that there's that misconception that if I ask someone if they're thinking about harming themselves, that it'll suddenly plant the idea. And that's not really completely accurate. Right. No, certainly not accurate. And something uh, that as we educate our uh, trainees in the uh, healthcare setting, we talk about, again, uh, keeping in mind, I'm an adult psychiatrist. So I'm talking in terms of how we have that dialogue with adults. Uh, there may be some you know, different approaches right. uh, you know, for uh, different age groups, but uh, family members should feel comfortable asking. Friends should feel comfortable. And healthcare providers should ask, consider how we ask about right. suicide. If I approach someone and say, you're not having suicidal thoughts, are you? 
They're going to say no because they think you want that answer. Right. I look like I'm busy. I'm there with my clipboard and my uh, white coat on and I'm moving on to the next patient and I just want to move on. We have to really be careful. These are serious questions and we have to engage with the individual Mm -hmm. in a meaningful way when we ask and be prepared to, to, to take action and assist if we do assess the high suicide risk right. or moderate risk or what have you. Right, right. Um, oftentimes when, when I'm doing those types of questions, if someone pauses for too long, like if I, I'm like, hmm, and then they come back and say, no, 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 I'm not having any, any thoughts like that. I say, well, you know, we paused a little bit before we answered. There's nothing you can say that's going to gonna shock me. I'm here to help you in whatever way you need. So let's talk about maybe why we had that pause there a little bit. Um, And oftentimes that comes into, well, I would never do it. But sometimes it just seems so hard to go on each day, you know, and those those types of questions help you get more information. Absolutely. And then probing a little further, talking about some of the things we discussed earlier, Mm -hmm. like fatigue, change in eating habits. Uh, even for someone who doesn't have, an, uh, say, an alcohol use disorder, right. are they increasing their use mm-hmm. of alcohol? Um, is there a change in uh, behavior at work? That mm-hmm. sort of thing. All right. Okay, we're going to go on over to the phone lines and talk with Heather this morning. Good morning, Heather. Hello. Hello, Heather. Hey. Hey, what can we do for you today? wondering if there was, we were listening to the radio station, mm-hmm. if there was a way that you could send some information that maybe I could provide to the community. Our school had a 14-year-old boy who committed suicide, and they didn't acknowledge his life, and so a lot of the children are very upset, and not, mm-hmm. they don't know how to handle the right. fact that the school did not acknowledge it, and so I was just trying to find some information that I could try to do, like a suicide awareness in our community. Yeah, very good question. We thank you for your call and you know, express our, our condolences mm-hmm. to your community and you know, to you as a member of the community and certainly to the family and friends who have, have lost this uh, young person. We are unfortunately increasingly seeing uh, death by suicide in this very tender you know, young age mm-hmm. group here. And the way a school responds can vary depending upon its experiences in the past, uh, uh, academic leadership or other leadership in the school community, access to professionals. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those are things to consider. Um, More and more schools, though, are beginning to think about how they approach this. They'll reach out for help. Um, I know that UMMC uh, has responded, uh, helping with some of the schools and church communities Mm -hmm. uh, educate uh, peers and family after there's been a a death of a teen or a a young person. And certainly, if we get your uh, contact information, Mm -hmm. we'll be glad to give you some uh, resources Mm -hmm. and uh, also some numbers that you can call, uh, perhaps, to get some help with education. Yeah, absolutely. So, Heather, I'm going to get you to stay on the line and we'll get our team to get your contact information. But if for some reason you get disconnected or it doesn't work or something, my email is fit, F-I-T, at mpbonline.org. You can send me um, a a request as well. And I'm going to loop in our um, child psychology and child psychiatry team as well um, to be able to give us some really good age-appropriate materials to be able to help you guys. Okay, and you said your email is fit. Fit, mm mm-hmm, at Uh mpb 
So Mississippi Public Broadcasting, MPB, okay. online.org. Okay, got it. All right. Great. So such a hard situation that they're going through there, but I'm so thankful that they reached, reached out today yes. and are, we're going to be able to get them some some information and help there. So um, kind of getting back to what we do, maybe if someone, our loved one or friends endorses that they're having those those thoughts, maybe of, of harming themselves or just feeling like they can't go on or, you know, it's too hard. Um, what What should that loved one do? Well, certainly we want to listen, have open uh, means of communication. Uh, And it's very hard for us, even if as mental health or primary care professionals, if someone close to us is expressing uh, these concerns, Mm -hmm. we're suddenly in the personal realm and we're not in the professional realm. So reaching out for help from a professional source that is not you. Right. right. <laughs> is, you lose is, all your objectivity when it's you. Uh, right. And I would say the same, you know, for clergy, for counselors, for other people who have professional background. Remember, if it's someone close to you, your objectivity mm-hmm. uh, goes out the window. Uh, and then assessing the immediacy of the need is tough. If you have someone that you believe to be imminently at risk, um, Securing safety, it may be calling 911, mm-hmm. it may be calling for an ambulance. Uh, there are uh, means out there to get emergency evaluation mm-hmm. if needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, securing the environment, um, firearms. You know, we are, we are a state that has, you know... Uh, a, a fair, a amount, fair, of, fair yeah, amount out there. Fair, fair yeah. amount of firearms. Um, that's, you know, over 40, 40% of households probably have uh, firearms. And... Uh, you know, hunting, sportsmanship, other things uh, present. Some individuals uh, want to have a firearm uh, uh, for personal safety reasons, what have you. We're not being judgmental right. about that, but we're just going to talk about gun safety there. Just as I would, hey, if you have a toddler in the home, right. I don't want to have loaded weapons at the bedside. Right. I want to have ammunition separated from uh, the firearm. I want to have locks uh, on weapons. I want to have safes. So talking about those things is very important. Uh, things like, you know, removing access to stockpile of medications um, because, you know, overdose by medications, whether prescription medication or over-the-counter medication is a concern. Uh, it's really hard, though, to safety-proof an entire house right. uh, because there are, are means in any common household environment that could be potentially lethal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, being open to to hearing what your loved one is going through mm-hmm. um, and then not being afraid to, to escalate care if, if that needs to happen. You know, it can seem drastic to call 911. Um, but if, you know, they are endorsing that they do not want to live anymore and they got a plan to do it, you got to you got to do that. You know, you, you know, and you know, let the professionals take over when when they get there, you know. Um, but, you know, anytime someone says something like that, we've got to take it 100% seriously, you know, um, and, and really hear them, you know, because they're, they're reaching out for help, you know, and I don't even remember where I read it, but, you know, it said, um, I read an article that was saying a a lot of folks who have completed suicide saw a healthcare provider, you know, in the, in the near time frame you know it wasn't like they just didn't go see a, a healthcare provider at all that's absolutely right and we were talking earlier before the show started about uh 
who is most likely to have contact with an individual um, who's thinking about suicide or, or eventually completes a suicide. Uh, primary care is more commonly sought. Mm-hmm. Individuals go to their primary care doctors more commonly than they do to uh, mental health providers. Moreover, access to mental health specialty care is far more limited. Um, mm-hmm. Just availability of providers and clinics. Um, uh, so that's something that that uh, skews it also toward mm-hmm. primary care. Absolutely. So we've got to be ready to respond to those things. All right, we're going to take our last break of the hour. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, mental health and maybe some different um, treatment strategies for uh, maybe depression and anxiety. If you guys have a question or a comment for us related to mental health or suicide, now's a perfect time to give us a call. That number is 1-877-MPB-RING, podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. We are talking all about mental health and suicide awareness today. We've got a couple minutes left in the show, so if you've got a question, now's the time to do that. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 all right. One thing I want to make sure that we, we get at and we cover, um, because when I see patients um, from more of a primary care standpoint, and we identify that there may be um, some issues to work on, whether it be depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, or just stress management in general, because we're we're all pretty stressed out. Um, and I may suggest seeing a mental health provider. The first thing that comes out of their mouth, one is I'm not crazy is what they tell me. Um, and I agree. First of all, I hate that word. Um, and then secondly, they say, I don't want to be on medicine. All right. And so when we see a mental health provider, it doesn't necessarily mean we're getting a pill, right? Absolutely not. Uh, in fact, when we screen individuals for uh, care that they may need, we always want to be thinking about therapy, psychotherapies of various uh, types. And again, wellness uh, work there, uh, talk, doing some of the things that you're doing here mm-hmm. on the show, education and so on. But no, psychiatric care does not necessarily require a pill or a shot uh, or hospitalization. Right. That being said, there are some some cases where we absolutely would recommend that in conjunction with therapy. I love that part, in conjunction with therapy. It works so much better if you do them in, in tandem together. And just because you get a medication started doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay on that medication forever. No, absolutely not. Again, depending upon the response uh, that you have for the particular condition and the the chronicity, the how long-lived uh, the particular condition is, uh, there are people who are able to come off a medication, say you've been treated for an episode of depression, you're doing well, mm-hmm. you and your provider together may decide, hey, I'm ready to taper off the medication now. I want to continue working with my therapist, 
uh, doing other uh, things to help me maintain uh, my good uh, mental health and move forward uh, from that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in particular, one of the ones that comes to mind is when we um, are, have individuals who are suffering from anxiety or anxiety attacks, um, and and there are medications that we use to kind of stop those anxiety attacks, um, and that is important. But we want to give folks tools to help deal with that anxiety that does not include those medications from a long-term perspective because they can be be habit-forming and not great for us. That's absolutely right. So there are certain medications that are wonderful medical tools in the short term, and uh, we are grateful to have them, and they can be uh, life-enhancing and life-saving in some circumstances. But we do want to be thinking about a long-term plan whether that is, if medication is still indicated, switching to a medication that has a, a better, longer-term health uh, profile, uh, but also doing things like cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, other sorts of therapies that don't involve medication. Mm, yeah, and I think sometimes when people hear the word therapy, they think back to all the television shows that they have seen um, for with therapy, and it's um, them laying on a couch and just talking and somebody just scribbling down everything they say on on a notepad and that's that's therapy is a lot of talking but it's not necessarily that particular um, picture I have been to see therapists before and I have never laid out on a couch Um, it's more a conversation between um, the therapist and and the the client or the patient Um, and really uh, I call it building your toolkit you know really giving yourself tools for dealing with whatever type of issue that you may be having That's absolutely right. As far as the the modern psychotherapies that are uh, now available to us, we like to refer to them as evidence-based therapies. I mean, there's good research to support their efficacy. It is very goal-directed kinds of therapies to approach a particular area of concern or diagnosis. And uh, there are these are available uh, at various uh, mental health mm-hmm. facilities. UMC's Department of uh, Psychiatry and Human Behavior has uh, providers who, who practice these evidence-based mm-hmm. therapies, and that's something I'd encourage listeners to get to know more about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it can be as as non-invasive as as journaling. You know, I mean, I really love the concept of, of journaling, and I do that with my patients a lot. Um, as far as uh, chronic worry. You know, we've we've got a lot of worry going on in our lives and a whole lot of mental energy is spent on that worry, you know, and so really journaling about some of those things. um, And what I use with my kids actually is that that closing the loop piece on that worry. So was it as bad as you as you thought it was going to be, you know, because over time we see that a lot of the stuff that we worried about didn't happen or even if it did happen, it wasn't as significant of, of a detriment to us than we thought it was going to be. And so we learn not to freak out over that worry over time. Um, and gratitude journaling. I love gratitude journaling. Um, I find it helpful for folks who are having sleep issues, you know, um, because we get in the bed and we tend to think about all the garbage that happened during the day and then all the not so much fun stuff that might be waiting for us again tomorrow. And that's hard to go to sleep like that, you know. And you're mentioning sleep, anxiety. These are two key areas that if not adequately controlled in the short term can really increase risk for suicidal behaviors. Absolutely. Uh, So these are very important to address. And there are a variety of ways of addressing them because what we fear is that people will end up addressing them through substances. Mm -hmm. And whether that's inappropriate use of prescription medications 
excessive use of legal medications, mm -hmm. <laughs> legal substances mm -hmm. like alcohol, mm -hmm. or uh, perhaps uh, moving toward uh, medic. Uh, substances that are not legal. Right, uh, right. And then you have a whole other host of issues. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I see, you know, folks will come in, they say, well, I drink this many before I go to bed so that I can just kind of pass out, you know, and not mm -hmm. have to, to deal with all the anxiety in there. And there's just better ways, you know, there's better ways um, to be able to cope with those things. It never stops it, but it, you you change the way you think about it, you know, Um I used to be one of those like worst case scenario people. Like if I had a worry, it was like, oh, it's just the end of the world, you know. Um, and you you got to learn how to to go. What well, that could happen, but the more likely outcomes of these things are going to be this, this, and this. And then I'm a planner, so I have you know this is my plan if this this happens. And that's how I kind of deal with the worry. I think you know, especially as a parent of little kids. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to worry for the, the rest of my life about them, you know, um, and that's kind of part of my job as being a mom. But we can't let that worry overtake everything, you know, and become uh, maladaptive and mal malhelpful for us there. All right. We've got like a minute or 30 seconds. We got any parting comments for folks out there? Again, thank you so much for having me yeah. on the show. And this was an opportunity for us to highlight concerns about suicide and mental health in general. And uh, I hope in future shows, as you said, maybe we can get some of our child yeah, uh, specialists absolutely. and child and adolescent specialists on board. Absolutely. All right, guys, I do want to push out that suicide hotline number one more time for you there. That number was 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I've been your host today, Dr. Josie Bidwell. Special thanks to my guest, Dr. Sarah Gleason. If you didn't get your call in today, you can always send me an email, fit at mpbonline.org.